Now, for those of you who haven't been here all day, a little bit of refreshing may help. We started out in the Sunday school hour by looking at some of the uh, problems with the theory of evolution where your concept is we can add Lego block to Lego block to Lego block till finally the universe arrives here and it works like you see it now. Remember our key point was you can't make a planet that way, you can't even get worms to work that way. The worms need the grass, the grass needs the worms, the worms need the sun, the sun needs the universe, uh, and away you go. Then in the service, we looked at, um, well, what did we look at again? Do you remember? Change is true, but it's the opposite of evolution. We looked at the subject, the devolution of man, and if you want more than what we did, it's on that DVD, DVD the devolution of man. Look at the real history of people. And uh, none of us really like our own tribal history, as it were. Because when I've got to go back to my ancestors, they ate people and they sacrificed babies, and not all that long ago. Some people are a little bit close to the present, and some people are going back there now. Okay. Uh, tonight, I said we'd talk a bit about the fossils. Uh, we're going to look at the things that sceptics have troubles with. Sceptics inside and outside the church. What do I mean? I arrived in Birmingham one year, one unbelievably big church. I mean, thousands and thousands of people are sitting in front of me. But before I got out the front, the elders in the church put a note in my hand. It had a list of what I wasn't allowed to talk about. Hmm. I wasn't allowed to bring up the six days of creation. And I thought, why did you even invite me? I didn't invite myself. You invited me. What do you want me to say? So I had to think, quick, Lord, I need a solution here. I don't want to disobey the elders. Uh, that wouldn't look good in the front of the people, but I do need to tell them the truth. So I said, um, do you mind then if I let them ask questions? You do realize that good teachers know how to prompt you, so you have to ask questions. So I covered everything except the six days of creation. So the first question, guess what it was? Yeah. yeah. Ah, way we went. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was invited to a, a big school conference, which is still yet to come, and uh, in the email from the head of the uh, science department, we don't want you to discuss the age of the earth or the six days of creation. By the way, this is a Christian school conference. Hmm. Lord, I need wisdom. How do I do this? It's very evident out there that the issue of time, the age of the earth, the six days, is a real dilemma for most people. But having been trained in geology, I, I understand that. Because I left university with billions of years in my head and I thought it was all facts. Now, some of you have known me for a long time and you used to remember when I had hair on my head. And this wasn't exactly the same shape it is now. Um, and I've noticed one thing, in all of that time, the age of the earth has changed many times. The age of the rocks around here has changed. In fact, I remember being a student at Queensland University when the rocks right under you changed age. And they used to have a sign down on the beach at Shorncliffe and then the sign disappeared because they'd changed the age of the rocks. It was a good lesson to me because I thought, this is not fact, this is the latest theory. And the Bible says, remember the verse we quoted several times, test everything, only keep the things that are true? It wasn't a fact that the rocks at Shorncliffe were this age, and neither was it a fact that they're that age. That's just the latest opinion. We just looked at Exodus 20, 
verses 9 to 11. You know, this is not a popular section of the Bible. You do know why the Ten Commandments were given, don't you? Because back in the beginning, God only gave Adam two rules. Multiply and fill the earth and don't eat of that tree. Isn't that the two rules? What a freedom. But by the time Adam blew the second one, eating fruit of the tree and knowledge, man began as a sinner to forget God's standards. So by the time of Moses, if you think the people of Israel knew what God's standards were, forget it. They'd been hundreds of years in a pagan society and it had affected them. So God gives them, hey guys, here's ten rules. See if you can keep them. That's a decent challenge, wasn't it? Do you know what they discovered? They couldn't. That's why God implements the priesthood system. Uh, you know, if you can't keep them, here's what you need to do to deal with sin. And it's all designed to point you to Jesus who came at God's time in history so that you could learn that he could keep all ten of the commandments, including the one we looked at. You see, he was buried on the night before the Sabbath, so he rested on the Sabbath day and he kept God's law, alive and dead. Hmm, interesting. Okay, tonight we're going to be looking at the issue of time. We're going to be looking at the issue of how God did things and how you can learn something from this. So let's give you a promotion again, taking you to Australia, visiting the Aussie Creation Museum. Remember we told you this morning we've subtitled it, Time is Short? That comes from a policeman who's retired and he said, listen, when you go to Jurassic Park, what you learn about is things don't take millions of years. Um, by the way, he knew that time is the enemy of process. Um, you know, he'd gotten old, his body wasn't working all that well, he couldn't read the signs, it was just happening to you too, isn't it? And look at me. Ah, He said, you should call it time is short because that's what your experiments show. Well, he and the rest enjoy the digging of fossils. We have schools there, as we told you this morning. We have all sorts of visitors come there. We have displays. People enjoy looking at the fossils as well as making them. Yes, you heard me, making fossils. Um, by the way, that one there only took a couple of hours to make. Yes, that's a genuine fossil because one of the things you'll see up there are preserved leaves. Yeah, remember I told you tonight, bring your friends, bring your enemies, ponder why are they there, as well as praying for creation research, for the Lord to raise up a big businessman who's got a lovely big spare warehouse somewhere. We can put the hundreds and hundreds of those things we've got in to demonstrate one thing. If you try to preserve a leaf as a fossil over a long period of time, tell me what happens to the leaf before it becomes a fossil. Disintegrates. Common sense, isn't it? Do you realise how long you have to go to university to learn to not believe that? You didn't catch that? Do you realise how long you have to go to university to learn not to believe in the obvious? Takes a long time to not believe in the obvious. That's why we tell you, come and visit Jurassic Park. It's only a couple of hours up the coast. And uh, we've got murals. And this is the one the high school kids love. I want one of those on my T-shirt. It's that very intriguing section in Genesis 6 that I get lots of questions about. What about the giants? Are they angels and demons and you name it? Well, even the little kids enjoy. And remember this morning we were promoting September the 2nd. If you don't have any obligations here, think about coming up uh, and looking at all the wonderful progress that's been made, including some of the new things you'll see in this program. We do remind you about the DVDs up the back. If you're wondering what helps fund our ministry, sales of DVDs do. And someone said, I've got a friend who's got a real problem with the eight men. Have you got anything on that? Well, I said we will have in a couple of weeks because we've just finished a brand new DVD 
on the topic, monkeys don't cry, because they're so different from you. It's true, they don't. Uh, do they laugh? Amazing. All right, uh, that's coming out shortly, but there's new books down the back I'd encourage you to have a look at. So let's start with the technical details now. Um, somebody asked me this morning after the end of the first session, how's your stalactite experiments going? I'll show you. Remember we set up the world's first stalactite machine? And I didn't make an accurate prediction. I said, we're not going to get rich selling these things. We haven't sold a single one since then. Um, but there it is, set up on October 2015. That's nearly 18, 19 months ago. And you will see a stalactite protruding from the bottom. OK, what's happened? Well, there it is when we took this picture quite a while ago now. Um, there it is on the 7th of the 3rd. 19, 2017, and it was still growing approximately one centimetre a month. And if you want to see it over the time, hmm, back in 2016, look at the progress, will you? So you see, part of creation research involves actually proving that these are, oh, why are we doing this, remember? Janolan caves don't touch the stalactites, they take vast ages to grow. No, they don't. They actually don't take time, they take a process, which should be the clue. For those of you young people, we'll stress this during the week as we have you here in the school classes, that if you want to do well in this life, then copy God's methods. He uses the right process, which is why he doesn't take a long time to achieve anything. Ah, not time, but process. And the Lord's helped us to put together a machine that shows you the stalactites actually growing. Hmm. And we bought the fossils. By the way, don't you like this one? You know, the best question I've had on this is, how do you get a specimen that big out of a rock? Well, the answer is you start with a much bigger rock and you broke the other bits. Yeah, it's true. How did it form? Well, you can go to the British Museum and see the sign on the wall that says the fishes live, the fishes die, they slowly fall to the bottom and then they slowly get covered up with mud. And as I keep telling people, if you've got an aquarium in your house, you know that's nonsense because the dead fish float. Now tell me what the other creatures do to them. But you see, knowing that that couldn't happen doesn't tell you how it did, but this does. Do you see this fish is vomiting? It's vomiting because the mud was coming in so fast it's being squashed. The vomit is coming out. Question, if you vomit in water, how long have you got to be buried to catch the vomit coming out of your mouth? Blech. Yeah. Um, you know, it's very interesting. There's quite a lot of fossil fishes that people see fishes in their mouth and they say it died and was buried so quickly it was catching a fish. No, it's more likely it was being squashed and the fish has already been swallowed and it's coming back out. Hmm. Fossil vomit. We've got some amazing fossils, haven't we? Oh, and if you have a look at that same one, have a notice that around the fishes, there are actually poo, fish poo. Come on, anyone here in an aquarium, you can see your fishes, you put the fish food in, they go gobble, 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 and within a couple of seconds, out the other end. All right, anyone tell me what the other fishes start to do? Eat the poo. Oh, sorry, you, you haven't had your supper yet. Um, they have theirs. So if you find a lot of fossil poo around, guess what you've discovered? It was buried quickly before the animals and the bugs disintegrated the uh, feces. We'll use the technical name. 
Okay, up the back also. Well, you don't have Liam. He's one of our young geologists. He's up outside of Mount Isa at the moment. Can you see the fossil? It's up the back there. Okay. Um, get up a bit closer and you'll notice quite a few of those fossils have this. Oh, this is going to be one of the new dinosaurs you'll see up at Jurassic Ark in uh, September. Man, has the Lord given us some really good specimens. Oh, this is fascinating because it's actually, well, one of them up there has two. Did you catch the one with the little baby inside? Because this is another dinosaur with a baby inside. And notice that whether it's that one or this one, which I personally photographed on a fossil dig in uh, Bavaria. Notice its head's up and its tail's back over. And one year we did a dinosaur program here and the purpose we have those fossils and we've collected them from all over the planet is that uh, we've known and now the scientific world has admitted but they're hoping nobody finds out too much. Back in 2011, the year of our big floods here in Queensland, they uh, began to get honest about the shape of these dinosaurs and the birds and many other. Do you realise there are dogs and horses in the rocks that look like this too? Many dinosaurs are found with their head, tail and neck bent backwards and their tail arched over the back and provably they have drowned. Remember you throw your dog in the water and it drowns, the last thing it does and the last thing you do if you followed it was arch your neck up to get air. And if you're under the water, that is the last thing you actually do. So provably, whether it's the birds, the dinosaurs or whatever, those creatures there drown. But one thing I'm really grateful the Lord has enabled us to do over the years is to travel anywhere from Alaska to, uh, you know, the south of New Zealand, from Australia, all the way up to the Arctic. Um, travel, 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 and finding drowned dinosaurs all the way through. Okay, if you've got dinosaurs that are drowned from left to right, from north to south, uh, right across the planet, what do you think you're looking at? You see, haven't they just found the dinosaur out in western Queensland that was pretty well intact and it had food still in its stomach? That's the second one we found, by the way. You can see the first one up at Jurassic Ark. Amazing. The food's still in its tummy. Question, if you drown, well, don't the fishes normally eat you up? Don't the other creatures normally eat you up? Even if you're a dinosaur, you're big enough for a big fish to eat you up. You have found with your neck and your bones intact and food still in your tummy, you drowned. Not only drowned, you were buried before your body disintegrated. And that's the point they leave out. They're quite happy to tell you about this dinosaur out in Western Queensland. It was washed into the sea. Bravo! Okay, why is it buried, please? Because most creatures that wash into the sea get eaten by the other creatures. This was not only washed into water, it was drowned and it was then buried incredibly rapidly from Alaska to China, from the northern hemisphere to the southern. Not time, but... You see, if you took time, there'd be no fossil there. One of the things we teach people at Jurassic Art is if you take time, there won't be anything to preserve. Remember I did one year how you can become a fossil? Some of you still have ambitions to be a fossil, but if you want to be a fossil, then get buried rapidly while you're alive. It's the best way. Uh, well, maybe not. We don't want you doing that, do we? But that's the only chance you've actually got of becoming a fossil. Okay, there's Daryl, our curator, up at Jurassic Ark. Was a missionary in New Guinea, had to come back because his wife got ill and he you now works for us three days a week. And uh, 
He's looking after the gardens and setting up the experiments. You can see our fossil tank. Well, no, the tank's not a fossil, but what's about to happen in it is a very important fossil process. Day one. Day one. Oh, there's the logs on the top. Day one. Well, you haven't made much progress in time, have we? But by the time you get to day two, can you see some of the little log things have sunk? And look, by the afternoon of day two. And the reason we did that experiment is many years ago, I found a lot of trees like this. And I even gave some lectures to the Sydney Basin Coal Conference on all of these fossil trees, which the evolutionists say, look, it must have stood there, growed there, got buried there slowly in a swamp, and millions of years went past. Now, I know that tree very well. I've lectured on it. I've collected specimens of it. That is a fossil pine tree. And the one thing I know about pine trees is they're softwood, and you visit a swamp. See how many pine trees last very long standing in swamps? They're softwood. Not going to happen. But I tell you what, this happens because we took bits of Australian trees, put them in the, in the tank, and by the third day, most of them have either reached the bottom and fallen over or they're still standing up. And if you want to see that sort of thing, come with me on a trip to a very isolated part of the USA where there's vertical trees after vertical trees after vertical trees in the rocks. And I hate to tell you this, but the sceptics, and that includes the so-called Christian sceptics, often tell you there's hardly any of these trees. One of our keen supporting geologists now is a guy who studied his geology not far from this tree deposit. And you know, when he became a believer, after we took him on some field trips, he said, nobody even took us to see these trees. And my university is only 20 miles away. Isn't that amazing? Do you realize that science is not about all the evidence? It's about the evidence that suits your opinion, sadly. That's why the Bible says, beware of false science. That's why the Bible says, test everything. Ah, test everything. Excuse me, guys, would you like to see the file, the biggest file in the world of all these fossil trees? Uh, come to Creation Research. We will keep you bored for hours <laughs> watching all of these that the Lord has enabled us. You know, I've seen these in Alaska. I photographed them, spent days and days wandering through the frozen wastes of Alaska photographing these trees. You can actually see them in Australia. You can actually see them just west of Brisbane. You can actually see them in the motorway cuttings if you know where to look because they're all over the place. None so blind as those who will not. Yeah, it's true. Once the sceptics, once the professors say there's no such trees, then you'll find not even the theologians go looking for them. Do you know what the problem is here? Man puts science there and God's words here. Do you know one reason why John Mackay isn't all that popular? He says, no, God was there, put God's word there, and put science here. The conflict is not science versus religion. The conflict is truth versus error. Haven't I said that before? And the problem is truth is not a thing. Truth is actually a person. His name is who? And he always tells you the truth. And the truth is, he made the world in just six days, and one reason he gave that as a law was to prove to you that you don't like being told what to do because you're a sinner. I mean, I want to be free to go to the beach. Why should I have to come to church? Ah, isn't that interesting? That's one reason the law was given, to show you that you actually are a rebel against God. And the issue, 
Oh, the reason why the six-day issue is so crucial is that even in the churches, the leaders don't want to know what God's Word says. Otherwise, they'd have to change a whole lot of what they're actually doing. Hmm. You come up to Jurassic Ark and you'll see beside our fossil tank now a lovely big mural. Some of you met Natalie, who's our new young secretary here, just started a couple of months ago. We didn't even know it. She's an artist as well. She was just coming to do a secretarial job, felt called to the Lord to do it. And she put this together. Do you see the top left-hand side up there? Now, I didn't find that tree. I can tell you where it is. It's lying on a side in the Leith Botanic Gardens there, just outside of Edinburgh. But it, it was found in rocks not far from where my dad grew up in Scotland. But all the others I've personally found. So we put the murals together. Nova Scotia, Scotland, Leith. All these places, England, Australia, they are everywhere. By the way, there's one in the top right-hand corner which is rather famous. You see the one? I'm not talking about me. I'm not the fossil, not yet anyway. This is a rather famous fossil tree because the man who found it, a professor, was not a creationist. He did not believe in six days of creation and he didn't believe in Noah's flood. But he was one thing that many scientists are not. He was trying his best to be objective. You know the story that says the trees grew there? They slowly got covered up and buried. And he actually said, well, let's test this. Because look at all these layers. The name of these trees, technically, by the way, is polystrate trees. Poly, many, straight, layer. Okay, catching on? Some of you have strata, stratified titles to your you know, flats or something that you lease out. It just means you've got a layer of the flat units. Okay, and he went and he looked at these layers and he actually said, okay, I can count the layers. There's 30,000 of them up this tree. 30? Hey, can you count to 30,000? You run out of fingers after 10, correct? Even throwing your toes and it gets a bit hard to get to 30,000. Well, he counted 30,000. And then he said, let's see what's in them. Because it's one thing to count layers. It's another thing to go a little bit further and say, if these grew here and they got slowly buried... I wonder what's in the layers. Hmm. I keep telling people, God has given you a mind and his first commandment. Remember when he came down to the planet, he said, you'll love me with your heart, your soul and your brains? And this guy really began to think because here's what he found. Here was a layer of seashells. Here was a layer of land plants. Here was a layer of sandy grit. Here was another layer of seashells. Here was a layer of plants. Here was a layer of twigs. And he scratched his head because... If you're a tree standing there all by yourself waiting to be slowly buried, guess how you have to interpret seashells, land plants, grit, seashells, twigs. That means the sea level's gone up and down and up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down, up and down for at least 30,000 years. And he said, this is not possible. The land should have shook to pieces. Zoop, 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 zoop. You're worried about climate change raising the sea level? Man, this would have been a nightmare. Zoop, 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 zoop. And he ended up saying, this is not true. This didn't grow here. This is a flood deposit. Hmm. Famous professor. Hey, by the way, John Mackay loves to quote this guy because he's regarded as unprejudiced. Shame he never went further and said, there's a flood here near Manchester. And look, over on the other side of England, the same trees. And look, in Nova Scotia, it's exactly the same bed. And look, in Germany, fossils, this is a big flood. Surprise, surprise, 
people don't like reaching conclusions like that. What he actually said was, there's a different process here. It's not just standing there and waiting to be slowly buried because that process would not leave you a tree at all. Agreed? Yeah, that's the important part. Even if it got buried in spurts, you would have a mark where the water stopped. Easy to prove. Go and look at the dams where they've cleared the trees and then the water sits there for five years, then it goes down again. You'll see the worms are bored right up to that mark and it won't be too long before the tree in the end will fall down. He said there's a different process here. But he didn't like the whole big flood um, as a, a real process for one reason. Why did God send Noah's flood? Judgment. Hmm. I've shared with you before, but I remember starting at Queensland University Geology Department in the first week, the professor said, we're not going to study any such catastrophic rubbish as creation or Noah's flood. You know, it took me a while to find out that that wasn't a scientific opinion, that was a sinner's prejudice. We don't want to be reminded that there is a God who judges. And that's what the evidence of the flood is all about. And we don't want to be reminded about six days of creation because that's a reminder of the law by which God says, you want to be righteous? Here's the standard. See if you can meet it. Oh, you can't. You need a saviour. And that's humiliating, isn't it? Don't we want to save ourselves? Don't we want to reach the top ourselves? Sadly, for most of us, that's the case. Oh, up the back. Um, now, you won't see Dr. Eager. Here we are down at Belgrave Heights early this year running a conference for homeschoolers and you'll see there's a picture of a skeleton hand on the wall. Dr Eager is one of our team, has been for a long time and she was a medical biologist at Canberra University. Not the most popular on the planet because she, amongst most of them, she stood out because she believed God created the universe and God created man in his image. So you can see the kids there, they're all playing with their hands because she's getting them to do the things that the monkeys can't. You know, monkeys can't do that. Isn't that simple? But it's why you can pick up a paintbrush and they have to do it that way. Or you can do it like that and paint Rembrandt if you've got the talent. But they can't even pick the paintbrush up like that. Oh, the kids were enjoying that. And uh, we had a wonderful day with the homeschoolers there. And I'd encourage you, keep your eyes open on our newsletter, feel in the form. If you're in homeschooling, write homeschooling across the top so you get our special homeschooling announcements. We've got a field trip coming up for homeschoolers on Friday the 25th, but I can't advertise it anymore because it filled up within... Well, it didn't even go to press before it filled up. Um, but look, after I'd finished my talk on the rocks and this fossil was up the back there, some of the younger kids came up and said, Hey, mister, can we touch your rock? I said, sure. By the way, have you noticed that we all like to do that? I've got to fight people off because they say, Can I see that fossil? And the first thing they do is they rub it. Why do you do that? You're rubbing my fossil off. No. So you'll see there's all covers over the fossils there because there'd be huge finger marks gouged in them. And one kid came up and he said, Hey, mister, I know that fossil. I know that fish. I caught one of them. In fact, didn't we have a missionary from New Guinea here who told me that? Where is he? Own up. Where's our missionary? Hey, there he is. Sir, tell me what you said when you saw this fish. Well, not this one, please. <laughs> rub lick, rub lick. Okay, where did you catch one of these? Cans. And what did you describe it as? 
Yeah, a shark or a ray. That's correct. It's actually a shovel-nosed sand shark or a shovel-nosed ray. Take your pick. And uh, the interesting thing is this specimen is from the very mountain that was climbed in the second century by Bishop Eusebius, who left a record. You see, when you break these rocks open, they smell like fish oil. Ah, fish is buried. I mean, one reason it's so well preserved, I mean, look, here's another one of them. You see, we know what these are, the one at the top, the one at the bottom. That's the one that you caught, isn't it, the one at the bottom? Uh, guitar fish, they're sometimes called, or banjo fish. They look like those banjos. And uh, it's definitely been squashed. Now, the rays and the sharks don't have any bones in them. The creatures with bones are the easiest to fossilise because bones are already rocks. Ah, But sharks just have cartilage. All right, several things you can establish. When Bishop Eusebius went up in the second century to the top of the mountains in Lebanon where that fossil comes from, not only did he say it still smells, um, he said this looks like the evidence of the deluge. What did he mean by the deluge? It's an old word we don't use anymore. The flood, Noah's flood. Hmm. All right, so to him it was obvious. But one other thing in our world is that it actually hasn't changed. From the time the rocks were laid down... Oh, this rock is supposed to be over 100 million years old. And in fact, as I keep telling people, this is where I began to lose confidence in evolution because if you think that rock is 100 million years old, this fish hasn't even had a chance at evolving. But it has produced after its own kind. So please don't let people tell you there's no evidence to show the Bible is true. There's drowned dinosaurs everywhere. There's no evidence to show the Bible is true. Evolution is a fact, really. Sharks have always turned into sharks. The evidence is up the back. Um, you see, when God told you to love him with your mind, I keep telling students he doesn't expect you to believe something in order to pretend that it's true. He expects you to believe it only because it happens to be true. And when Paul, the converted murderer, when Paul, the converted Christ-hater, actually got to grips with this and the Holy Spirit takes over this obviously giant of an intellect, and he's the one that writes in Romans 1.20, the evidence is so clear you can see it and you can understand it and no one has any excuse. Look at the choices. You live in a world that the theory of evolution teaches us that bears used to be fish. Yep. Now they eat fish, isn't that true? Oh, cannibals. Um, and the Bible says, no, bears have always been some kind of bears. Oh, that's why I'm not worried about the polar bear dying out. You know, all the millions that's being spent on polar bears at the moment? Don't worry about it. Polar bears are just degenerate bears. If they all died out, oh, I know because, you see, one of my friends was into polar bear research and he got me up this polar bear and he said, have a look. Underneath all that beautiful white hair is black bear skin. They've just lost their pigment. You could have them back in a couple of generations if you really wanted to work hard at it. Isn't that how we get white cats and white dogs and white chickens? Yeah, you don't take millions of years. It's not time. It's the process because chickens always produce chickens and bears always produce bears and sharks always produce. The evidence is in. Okay, let's run you down just a couple of things here on God's genius at being someone who makes the Lego blocks and then he puts all the Lego blocks in place within six days. Remember the point we made in the first session? You can't actually do it any other way. Isn't Jurassic Ark looking beautiful? I mean, look, beautiful orchids. 
And they're there for a reason. So we can ask people questions. You see, this orchid is growing in the vegetable garden. You do know you can eat orchids or you don't. Some of them taste really good. I mean, you know those nice big king orchids? If you forgot to bring your sugar, take the flowers off the king orchid and stir it in your cup of tea. Mm, lovely. And if you're really hungry, cut the whole thing off and pound it to pieces, boil it up and get a little starch out and make yourself some pancakes. It's really nice. Oh, but what about the raspberry? You see, Genesis 1.11. God said, let the earth bring forth grass, the herb yielding seed and the fruit tree yielding fruit, after his kind whose seed is in itself upon the earth. And it was so. And the evening and morning were the third day. All right, question. Um, have you eaten raspberries? Have you noticed the older you get, the more annoying they are? Um, because what have they got in them that sort of catches between your teeth? Seeds. Okay. Fascinatingly, if you want to grow raspberries, don't take the raspberry you buy from the, the greengrocer and pull the seeds out and plant the seeds. Because if you do, you'll find one thing. Raspberry seeds won't grow. They won't grow. If you want the raspberry seed to grow, you have to swallow it. But you'll notice the seeds get in the road, so you actually chew around with your teeth. And then when they get into your stomach, well, what you've done is put scratches on the outside of the seed. And then the acid in your tummy will get in there and begin to dissolve that seed coat off, and then the seeds will grow. Only after they pass through your tummy and they come out with a special pile of fertiliser. Isn't that true? Yeah. Um, actually, do you realise what that means? Without people or birds or animals that eat raspberries, raspberries die out. Hmm. And God said, let the waters bring forth abundantly the moving creature that has life and fowl that may fly above the earth in the open firmament of heaven. And God created great whales and every living creature that moves and every ring fowl after his kind. And the evening and morning was the fifth day. Do you realise there was no raspberry eaters on the third day? Uh, there were no raspberry eaters until the fifth day and the sixth day. And for those theologians, no, but the days could be any length of time. If they were, we wouldn't have raspberries. It's as simple as that. You see, it's not just something that God wants there for a theological purpose. It's there because there's no other way you could actually do it to make it work. And the same is true about flowers. God said, let the earth bring forth a living creature after his kind, cattle and creeping thing and beast of the earth after his kind. And that's where we come, isn't it? On the sixth day, God said, let us make man in our image and after our likeness. Yeah. And we like raspberries, correct? Raspberry syrup on apple pie. No, not apple pie. Ice cream. Yes. Amazing. I'll tell you what. Would you pray for us as we broadcast a lot of these on Vision? Because Vision Radio has done a deal with us this year. We'll promote you for free if you sort of promote us for free and do these programs. So a benefit to our ministry. Just pray for us as we minister to them as well. You want to come and have a look at these things? Here's our next field trip in this area. Uh, no, that one was down in Victoria. On Saturday, August the 25th, from the 26th rather, from 9 o'clock to 3 o'clock, starting at Dinmore, we will be taking you out. A wonderful fossil day. Look at some of the fossils and crystals we found that day. A marvellous. Do you recognise those? That's a scallop shell, correct? Yeah, because scallops haven't evolved either. Can I encourage you, if you're free on that day, uh, make sure we know who you are because most of these field trips are full before we get even advertising. The advertising of this will get up on the web on Tuesday and I'm not even going to bother with the homeschooling one now. It was full on Friday. 
All right, here's our rundown towards the end. Mutualism. In the beginning, God created. John chapter 1, in the beginning was the Word. And God gave Adam the gift of speech because God speaks and we're made in God's image. How good are you with words? What do you think mutualism means? Come on, you can see a flower and what's in the flower? A bee. Question, why is the bee in the flower? Because isn't it after pollen and nectar? Yes, it is. But why does the flower need the bee? Well, you see, you're back to a raspberry people connection here. Without the flower, there's no food for the bee. But without the bee, there's no way the flower can multiply after its kind. Isn't that the way it works? Isn't that why over the past couple of years people have been worried about the bees dying out? It is true. Ah, but let me introduce you to one which you may never have noticed. What kind of a flower is that? It grows in the ponds. Aren't they pretty, the water lilies? Um, you know, when people talk about plants evolving, remember the water lily. Because don't plants have sort of waterproof tops and then they have little holes underneath so they can breathe too? They do. But if you were a water lily and you did that, you'd drown. Because the plants can let water out under their leaves and then they take air in under the leaves. But if you're a water lily, there's no air under there, correct? So they have it in reverse. And so the theory is they used to live on the land and then somehow they went back into the water and they flipped their leaves upside down. Isn't that clever? I mean, evolution is just absolutely unbelievable. Unbelievable. Beautiful flowers though, aren't they? Amazing. Have you spotted it yet? Oh, you can't. You see, the water lilies live in the water. And have you spotted the bees that like water lilies? Many of our native bees, you know the really tiny ones? The ones that don't sting you? Yeah, they bite though, but they don't sting you. Uh, they like getting into the water lilies. But the funny thing is, if you're a little insect and you have to fly over the water, ha have you noticed the difference between the temperature of the water and the temperature of the land? Which is cooler? The water is. Okay, you're a tiny bee. Have you ever realised that the smaller you are, the bigger the surface area of your body becomes in relationship to your size. It's true. Sit down and work it out mathematically. And they love, these little flies and little bees love to get inside the water lily. So we did some experiments one day just to establish something. Oh, there's another one coming in from the outside. So here's what we did. We took a thermometer. On that day, the air temperature was 26.2. It's summertime. But when you get into the water... It was 19.7. Hmm. Okay. If you're a little insect and you're flying over the water and the temperature of the water is nearly 10 degrees less than the air, guess what happens to your body? You see, aren't they supposed to be cold-blooded? And they take the temperature of their environment. But also, hey, I solved a puzzle one year. I went to Nova Scotia in wintertime. I'd always puzzled. I know God's given me a funny brain that thinks interesting puzzles. I always wanted to know where the mosquitoes went in cold countries in wintertime because they sure came back when the snow melted. Where did they go? Because don't most of them only live short lives? And what about the flies? I mean, in Australia, we've got flies all the time, but in Alaska, where do they go? I discovered, because I was in a big Baptist church in the middle of nowhere, and they had to renew one section of the wall. And as they pulled the boards off, this was flies by the millions. 
just alive. And in that state, they'd stay there for months and months, and as soon as the sun came out, way they'd go. The water was cold. The flies, the insects would lose their heat and die fairly quickly. Look at the temperature inside the middle of the water lily. You realise one reason they go to the water lily is it's a big sign. Get warm here. Have a sauna. This will refresh you. And they'll get food as well. Lovely drink. Oh, the plant gets pollinated. The insect not only gets nectar, it gets warmed up. It's a lovely spot to spend the next 10 minutes getting yourself refreshed and... Re oh, I know, you were told that only human beings can adjust their temperature. No, flowers can too particularly water lilies. The plants on the land don't need to do this. You know, when you're looking at this, uh, how long do you think it took water lilies to evolve the ability to say, hey, I need to chew up some sugar. Instead of putting nectar, I'm going to turn it into heat. And then they evolved this unbelievably complicated mechanism for a brainless flower to actually generate heat only when it opens. There's no point in heating up anything when it's shut, is there? So it doesn't do that. And it doesn't even bother to do it overnight because where are the bees? They're not going to be there. It's amazing how this is scheduled with a little computer control program. Amazing. In fact, the point is very simple. When you look at our universe, if you're struggling with the six days of creation, A, in our first session we made the point, you can't take any longer because it begins to fail straight away. Cooperation is the norm, and the cooperation means all the Lego blocks have to not only be made, they have to be put in place before the thing will actually work. Nothing in the world works in isolation. Isn't that the whole purpose of the church? You think you can be a Christian all alone? Well, theoretically, I guess you could, but you need God's people and they need you. You need the people of God to actually say, hey, brother, I didn't see you in church on Sunday. Where were you? Oh, I hate that. What's his? It's not his business. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. Okay, cooperation is the norm. And God made all the ecosystems functional. You know, one of the funniest books I ever read was on the evolution of sex. Well, perhaps I better not talk about this at the Baptist Church. Um, no, you really do need to talk. Doesn't God talk about where it came from? God made Adam, then he said, name all the animals. And so the big great Dane comes up and goes, and Adam thought, that's a terrible kiss. That won't work. And Adam had to figure out that he was all alone. And then God made a woman just for him. Yeah, God invented sex. But you know, this book was all about how hydrogen, there are no boy or girl hydrogens. You do know that, don't you? I can discuss that. And somehow, no boy, no girl hydrogens turned into boy-girl people. And, and they did it via amoebas. And there are no boy-girl amoebas. And some of them, are, have you heard of eugleners? Those tiny little ones with little tails? microscopic, some of them have 14 sexes. Boy, girl, boy plus one, girl plus two. Uh, we don't even know what to call them. And he was trying to discuss how on earth all these things turned into male and female. I'll be honest, it was the silliest, funniest book I've ever read. Uh, you see, when man leaves God out of his picture, what does the Bible say? Only the fool says in his heart there is no God. And they come up with the most stupid theories and the other scientists pat them on the back when in reality they need someone like you and me to say, that is plain stupid. Because it is. You see, God made nothing in isolation. God made everything as a functional system. 
And when we ask the question, did God make flowering plants? And the answer turns out to be yes. Again, you have to realise the plants are there on the third day and all the insects and birds that fertilise them are not there till the fifth days and the sixth days. So please don't try to stretch those days. It simply won't work at all. It's one reason why the Bible says, God saw all that he made and behold, it was very good. You know, when you get people like Richard Dawkins who say, I can't believe God could make a giraffe that stupid. Uh, you realise in order to be a giraffe, you have to have trees that are taller than you, so you actually have to reason for your long neck. And Dawkins and Copoke funded all of this. I couldn't believe God made the universe in just six days. And I think I've shared with you before the one critical comment you need to make. You don't need a PhD in giraffe biology. You just need to say, excuse me, Mr Dawkins, what experience have you got in making universes? Answer, none. Well, you, sir, are absolutely incompetent to comment on how you make a universe. Oh, did I tell you about our field trips coming up? Can I encourage you? Talk to uh, my lovely wife at the book table. She'll be back Wednesday night at the book table. I'll be here all week. Pray for me. Um, thank the Lord that my eyes are, well, they're not, not well, but they're actually, I can cope with this just with a couple of Panadols and things like that. So keep praying for that. Keep praying as we have our open day on September the 2nd and pray particularly that that promised delivery of all the new dinosaur stuff will arrive mid-August so you can come up and have a good look at it. And always remember, not time, process. God is the processor. Without a processor, process doesn't happen. So don't be surprised that God holds you accountable for even the way you use his time. Because time itself is not self-inventing, nor is it self-propagating. And the God of the Bible says there's going to come a day when time will be no more. Aren't you looking forward to that? I'm not going to get any older. I'm going to be good looking again, says Pastor Lloyd. This will be wonderful. Yeah. <laughs> And Dave, yeah, there's hope for you there, mate, I tell you. Yeah. <laughs> Encourage people with the whole gospel from Genesis all the way to Revelation. Tell them the law was given to remind us we are sinners and now you know you're a sinner. You need to humble yourself before the Lord Jesus Christ as Saviour. Because if you don't, there is a time coming, just before we run out of time, when he will judge. You, me, and everybody. Can I encourage you? Go to creationresearch.net. Pray for us uh, as we minister all around the countryside and pray for these two special days coming up. Pastor, over to you.